Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. says that there are 700,000 words in the English language and that on an average day we hear 50,000 of those words. That doesn't even take into account the words that we read. Words are everywhere. Words overwhelm us. They surround us and words sometimes even, well, they, um, oh, escape us. Scripture says that words are extremely important and extremely powerful. Sometimes when we gather each week, you know, we come to hear a word. But I think sometimes what we do is we get to the place where we conclude that only one person can hear a word and only one person can bring a word. That's why I'm really excited about this series in June called In Words. After praying, I felt like that I needed to invite some of our own folks to bring the word. These are not preachers. These people are us. But I believe that through them, we are going to hear the in word. It's my privilege to get to introduce to you one of our key people. This individual helps set the atmosphere at Passion. In fact, when he walks in the room, you know you're at Passion. He is passionate about worship. He's passionate about discipleship. He's passionate about our church. And so it's my real privilege and honor to get to introduce to you today the guy with the N-word, Mr. Tari Walkins. Bring it, bro. Glory, 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 glory. Give God a praise, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Y'all need to sound better than that. How's everybody doing? We just gave God the glory. We just worshiped him, and he just honored us with his presence. So I know y'all got to be doing it better the way you sound. How's that? How you doing today? That'll work. That'll work. Amen, amen. First and foremost, I want to give honor and glory to God for him honoring us with his presence today. It's, a, it's an awesome privilege for us to be able to worship God and for him to be able to come into our midst and, and show us who he really is. Thanks to our worship team, for Abby and them, for doing a fantastic job and for ushering uh, in the Holy Spirit. Today, um, God gave me a word actually a few years ago. And... Um, I never thought that I would actually be up here actually giving it in any place, to be honest. Um, but I thank God that he's given me the opportunity to speak to you all. I thank you that our, that our pastors listen to God, and he realizes that it's not all about him. It's not all about us. It's how we reach each other. And um, first and foremost, I want to say, uh, to calm my nervousness just a little bit, I don't know how many of you used to watch the Brady Bunch, but they said if you ever get nervous, the picture of the audience in their underwear, that's not working for me right now. So, uh, yeah, yeah, Woody, sit down. So, so I, I won't use that one today. All right, especially for you, Woody, sit down. But today I'm going to talk about how reachable are you? How much access do you allow people to have to you? 
1999, there was a miniseries that aired on CBS and was called Jesus. Now, this miniseries chronicled the life of Jesus unlike any other miniseries had done before on TV. The reason why is because it showed Jesus, um, as some people say, as too human. Um, It was critically dubbed as one of the most controversial miniseries that there ever had been on the life of Jesus. Now, a lot of critics criticize this movie, critics outside of church, critics inside the church. And I'll, I'll read some of the criticism that, uh, that they had for that actual miniseries. First, it said, one of the bad uh, criticisms said, Jesus looks more like some guy chosen to be the Christ instead of a Messiah sent from God. I kind of agree with that when I watched it. Another thing they said was, the resurrected Christ was shown joyful and smiling. That's a good thing. How many of you know our God has a sense of humor? Yes, he does. Second thing, another thing they said, this is a Jesus that joked with his friends, and yet they knew he was more than just a man. They knew that this man that they spent a day-to-day basis with time in and time out, they knew that he was a man, but they knew that there was a higher calling on his life. They didn't know exactly what he was meant to do, but they knew that there was special, something special about him, so they followed him anyway. One of the last criticisms I read and that I heard, this is yet another attempt to show a more human Jesus. This is hardly the Jesus most Christians believe in. Now, I do agree that some aspects of this movie and this miniseries I have issues with, but that last statement concerned me, that Jesus was shown to be too human, and saying that this is not a Jesus that we believe in. That criticism came from the church. That came from us. That bothered me. How human is Jesus supposed to be? Now, I do agree that taking artistic liberty with the life of Jesus sometimes can be a little shaky. But my question is, the more and more that I get older, the more and more I hear that it's too hard to be a Christian. Being like Jesus is too hard. I hear that Christians are too stiff. I can't talk to them. They're always spewing out scriptures. They don't speak about reality. Also, I hear, it's too hard for me to follow these rules. So it's so hard for me to follow them. Why not just do them anyway? So what I thought was, how did these people come to this realization? Why are they thinking this? Why do they think it's too hard to be a Christian? Why do they think that we're too stiff? Why do they think that they can't approach us, that they can't talk to us? And I had to do one thing, something that we all do or that we all should do on a daily basis. That was look in the mirror. I had to ask my question, am I the reason why they think the Christians are too stiff? Am I the reason that they think that there's too many rules to follow, that they can't follow them on a daily basis? Am I the reason that they think that they can't be like Jesus? That was a question that I had to ask myself. Am I the reason? And at a young age, I realized that my influence wasn't as great as what I thought it was. At the ripe old age of 13, it hit me hard that, you know what? I'm not as influential as I think I am. So let me give you a backstory. 1982, January 1st, 1982 is when I gave my life to Christ. It was New Year's Eve young minister by the name of Charles Brooks was speaking that evening. And at that moment, at 12.04, 
I decided to give my life to Christ. I decided to say, God, you're my savior. You're the one that I want to live in. At that point, I was psyched. I was pumped. How many of you remember the first time that you gave your life to Christ? How excited were you? Yeah, pretty excited. I told everybody. I was wandering around the church going, oh, I gave my life to Christ. Oh, great. That's wonderful. I gave God my heart. Oh, that's wonderful. So I'm thinking, man, you know what? This telling people about Jesus is pretty easy. Oh, this isn't too hard. I'm telling people that I gave my life to Christ. And they're like, yeah, great. Pat me on the back. Good job, son. You're doing fantastic. So to me, I'm like, you know what? This isn't too bad. I can do this. So about a year and a half later, <laughs> yeah, you know what's coming. We had a vacation Bible school. How many of you remember vacation Bible school? Vacation Bible school is great. We don't do it as much as we used to back in the day, but back then, vacation Bible school was a week out of the summer, and not to say the church wasn't fun, but at that time for that week, church was great. We met every day. We played with clay. We had scripture that we acted out. We had cookies and punch. Oh, it was fantastic. So we, and then if it was a great summer, you went to somebody else's vacation Bible school at their church and had even more fun. So vacation Bible school was a blast. Not saying the church wasn't fun, but you know, as kids, that's what we look forward to. So we did skits, we did everything. So our vacation Bible school teacher decided to uh, do some role playing. My first experience of role-playing ever in my life. Of course, I'll never forget it. So he wanted to show us how to witness, how to tell other people about Jesus and invite them to church. So me, I was chosen to be the Christian, to invite somebody to youth the next Wednesday. Somebody else was a non-Christian. So I'm like, I got it. This is easy. I've been telling people about Jesus and how I gave my life to Christ. Literally, I realized when I told the people in the church that that's going to be easy. They're believing the same thing that I'm believing. So I'm sitting there, and I'm asking them to come to church with me. To make a long story short, they never ended up coming to church to me. They turned it around on me, and I ended up going to a party with them. Yeah, so, uh, that, well, not in real life, but just in the role playing. Just, I just want to clear, clarify that up. <laughs> Since my mama's sitting right here, I didn't go to a party. I'm just saying. But I realized at that point, at the age of 13, that my influence wasn't as great as I thought it would be because I learned at that moment that it's more than just about speaking words. It's more than just about quoting scriptures. It has to become a lifestyle at that point. It has to come from the heart. I can go around quoting scriptures and Bible thumping all day and saying, God is good. People saying, oh, my life is hard. Oh, that's okay. Get back up. God will pick you up. But that's not what people need. They need us to listen, to show God's love, and to show his compassion. And at an early age, I finally realized that I thank God that my vacation Bible school teacher had that role plan because it showed me a lot of things. So for us, we have to realize that remembering Scripture is great. If it's here, that's wonderful. But if it's not here, it doesn't mean anything in the world. We're going to look at Matthew 9, verses 10 through 13. I thought about having a reader. <laughs> Some of you don't know what that is. The preacher goes, read, and somebody reads the scripture. But uh, 
I, I won't do that. I, remember, I was remembering a story when I was young when my pastor told us that the, the preacher, he didn't really know how to read, and his reader was out that Sunday. And so they were supposed to be talking about the story of Nebuchadnezzar. And he's sitting there, and he's looking, has no idea what Nebuchadnezzar is. So he's trying to read the word. And at that point, when I was growing up, the ministers had three-point sermons. How many of you know what three-point sermons are? A few of you do. So you tell what's going to happen, why it happened, and what happens in the end. So he's looking at it, and he sees the word, and so he goes, never, hmm, never had a razor. So what we're going to talk about is who Nebi was, why he had a razor, and what he's going to do with it. So I thought about Mike being my reader today, but you know what? I, I kind of know how to read, so I'm going to take it on there myself. So Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, you know what? Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. Jesus threw scripture back at him because that's just the way he was. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, for I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus knew who he was going to go to. Now, Jesus wasn't sick. Yeah, he was hanging around doctors. He was hanging around tax collectors. But he wasn't sick. He wasn't there because he needed to, be, needed to be healed from something. It's because he needed to fellowship with the people. So the first point that I have today is don't be too holy for your own good. I'll say it again. Don't be too holy for your own good. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they called these people scum because they were tax collectors. I know how some of us feel about paying taxes, but we won't say anything about that. The reason they didn't like the tax collectors is because they were Jewish tax collectors that taxed you too much, and then they pocketed the difference. So they called them scum. They called them evil. They called them traitors. So he's asking, they're asking the disciples, why does Jesus hang out with these people? Why is he talking to them? And Jesus because of who he is, talks to everybody. His love and his compassion that he's showing through God is not just for certain people. It's not for people that already know who he is. That's why he said uh, only sick people go to a doctor. So he knows that these people are sick, that they need to be shown the love of Jesus. He's not there for the church folk. He's there for the people that need his love. So I want everyone or anybody to raise their hand if they were totally clean and void of sin when they gave their life to Christ. Exactly. None of us. When we made that decision, even for you today, none of us were clean. None of us were whole. We were dirty. So how in the world do we expect for people to come through that door to be the same exact way? Why do we look at people on the street? Why do we look at others and say, well, you know what? They need to clean up a little bit before they come to church. Is that what Jesus did? 
No, he talked to us. He came to us exactly the way we are. That's what he did. None of us were clean. That's exactly what Jesus expected from the church to think that, hey, you needed to be clean. But you know what? He came to us and he knew that he was going to die for us. And same for us. We have to realize that there is going to be people that we see that we may not like just by the way they look. And that's not what Jesus did. We have to realize that we were not clean. We were not whole when we gave our life to Christ. When we stretched our arms and we said, Jesus, I want you to come into my life and I give you my heart and I'm dirty and I'm not whole. And I thank you, Father God, for dying on the cross for my sins. And I give everything that I have to you. At that point, we became clean. We have to remember where we came from, that we were in the same boat, that we needed the same exact love, that we needed someone to come and tell us and show us the love of Jesus Christ. So how are we going to require that somebody comes to this building already clean and already whole if they haven't accepted Jesus? It does not work that way. How do we supposed to be in a grocery store and say, you know what? I can't talk to them. I got to wait till they get cleaned up a little bit. Did Jesus do that? Of course he didn't. He went to where they were and talked with them. He went to their house and talked with them. He went to their office and talked with them. Are we not supposed to do the same thing? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. So when the Pharisees and the Sadducees said, why do you? Why do you hang out with the scum? But Jesus did, like I said before, he threw scripture back at him. He quoted Hosea 6, 6, because it says, I want you to show mercy, not sacrifice. He was making the point that God is more interested in a person's, person's loyal love than rituals. He is more interested in the love that we have for the people than following the law, the law of the land, which we are supposed to, but doing it to a point where those rituals become the things that we worship and not God. He was telling him at that point, you know what? Yeah, you sacrificed the lamb. You sacrificed the goat. You give me your first fruits, but are you loving my people? That's what Hosea 6.6 6 says. I want you to show mercy and not sacrifices. It's all well and good that we have all these rules to live by. You know what? But the greatest one there is is love. So is that the reason why people say, oh, there's too many rules to follow? If I have to follow all these rules, then why do it? Are we the ones saying, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't drink, you can't smoke, which, you know, you shouldn't, but that's another story. We can't do these things. So are we too, taking too much time telling everybody what they can't do versus what they can do? That's my question. Are we spending more time ministering to people, telling them what they can't do versus what they can do, how they can reach people, how they can love people? So which one are we doing? That's the important question. That's what Jesus said to the Sadducees and Pharisees. How often are we as Christians more concerned that people follow the rules instead of seeing God's love? How often do we look at people and think about what they do versus us showing his love to them? Is that what's holding them back? They don't see God's love in us. 
or through us. That's important. When people come through these doors, we love them for who they are. Yeah, there's a sin there. Love the person, not the sin. Yeah, and then it is up to us once they give their life to Christ to walk them through and say, hey, look, this is how you overcome it. Now, do I believe that God is the almighty God and powerful God that he can just wham, but one second take away addiction? Yes, I do. At one point, can he make your life clean and whole and get rid of it? Yes, I do. But does it always happen that way? No, it's a process. If you're addicted to drugs, it takes a while for you to get off it, being addicted. If you're addicted to TV, if you're addicted to Mountain Dews, if you're addicted to Cokes, anything, it takes a while for you to break that addiction. So it's not going to happen immediately. Are we more concerned about people following God's rules than us showing his love? In Romans 12, verses 1 through 3, it says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Hmm. Don't be too holy for your own good. Again, don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in yourselves by the faith of God, by the faith that God has given us. Now, if you're used to the King James Version, the word that we usually see in this passage is the word conformed. Yeah, we're not we're of this world, but we're not supposed to be, uh, excuse me, we're in this world, but we're not supposed to be of this world. Don't be conformed, don't change. The word conformed means to form or to mold. Now the Pharisees talked about spiritual transformation. And this is one of the things that that the, the, the believers had a problem with. They talked about spiritual transformation, but one of the things that the Pharisees and the Sadducees missed along the way is that true spiritual transformation doesn't just begin in the mind. It's not just up here. It's not about how many scriptures that we can quote. It's not about how many rules that we say that you need to follow. It is also in the heart. That's where spiritual transformation begins. It's all great to remember memorize scripture it's great to quote it. It's great to memorize songs that speak about God. But if those things are only in our mind and not in our heart, that's a problem. We need to remember that spiritual transformation is twofold. It comes from reading God's scripture, but then the Holy Ghost, God, making it whole in our heart. What we can use things that we can use on a day-to-day basis. With spiritual transformation is only a mindset, we set ourselves up to be swayed, influenced by our surroundings, by our peers, by our family, by our co-workers. But spiritual transformation is rooted and grounded in our mind and in our heart. My next key point is goes along with that. You can be reachable. 
but not to the point of losing the power of your witness. Yes, it is. You can be reachable, but not to the point of losing the power of your witness. Like I said, we have to make sure that the scripture is whole, not just in our heart, but in our minds. When spiritual transformation is rooted in both our mind and our heart, it produces a lifestyle that can stand the test of time. By continually meditating on God's truth, it allows the Holy Spirit to guide our thoughts and our behaviors. Those scriptures that we've memorized, those verses that we've read over the years, when that spiritual transformation hits our heart, then at that point, we can walk among lions. We can walk among wolves and not be changed. We can minister, we can talk and show God's love to people out in the street, to anywhere, and not worry that my witness is being compromised. That's where our strength comes from, in that truth that manifests in our heart after God gives us the realization of that word. You can be reachable, but don't do it to the point of losing your own personal witness. Three or four weeks ago, I got a phone call from my supervisor while I was here in church. She never calls me. She knows I'm at church. Um, called me, left a voicemail, texted me. Of course, I knew this. there was something important. Went to the back after church. And um, at that point, she had told me that one of my coworkers, the man that I work every day side by side with running our team at Dell, decided to take his life. That hit hard. Extremely hard. Actually, I had known this man from day one since I set foot in Oklahoma City back in 2005. I do believe that God had ordered our steps together. We were in training class at AOL together. We both left away at AOL. First day of training class at Dell, he was in the same room. He got promoted. I got promoted. I was on his team. He was my team lead. He got promoted again. I got promoted. Then they teamed us together to work with a team at Dell for the past year. Do I think that was coincidence? No. So at that time, I'm not going to lie, it hurt. It was hard. Stood back right back there, told my wife. I was in tears because he was a dear friend. Tina prayed with him. Pastor Steve prayed. And they prayed a prayer that I knew that was hard for them, but it was even harder for me to receive. And they both prayed the same thing. God, we know this is tragic. We know this is hard to deal with. But in some way, you'll get the glory. In some way, this will be an opportunity for Tari to minister to people. Okay, I'm hurting just as much as they are, but that's okay. So I went home Sunday night. Wasn't supposed to go to work the next day. And um, I said, God, I'm hurting just as much as they are. What am I supposed to do? I know I'm supposed to show you love and compassion, but you know what? I'm hurting just as bad as they are. What am I supposed to do? And he told me, real simple, there was no writing on the wall, the veil didn't break, the sky didn't open up. He said, be yourself. Seriously, that's all I'm supposed to do is be myself? He said, yeah, just be yourself. So I did. That day was hard. We met with the team, told them the news. We hugged, we cried. To make a long story short, at the end of that day, around 4 o'clock, they all decided, hey, Let's go to Emerson Biggins. Some people deal with 
issues by drinking. Some people deal with by eating. They want to get a couple of drinks. I'm like, God, I can't do that. I'm not going to, but, you know, why, why would I want to put myself around that? He said, be yourself. <laughs> he said, go. I said, okay. Emerson Biggest is a, is a sports place, and they watch sports. So everybody's around the table. They're doing their thing. We talk. We laugh. We hug. We cry. About an hour, hour and a half later, we finish. We're leaving. And at that point, one of my agents walked up to me and said, Tori? I said, yeah. She says, I know that you have great faith, but I don't. I know that you're a Christian, and I'm not. But at any point in time, can I call? And I said, of course. Anytime. That's what I'm here for. It doesn't end there. The next day, I'm, I'm working from home. She calls. Amy's at home. She says, I'm in your neighborhood. Can I come talk? Of course. I went in. Got Amy. Went to the dining room. We talked with her for about an hour. She cried. We cried. And in the end, I asked if I could pray with her. She said, sure. Person's not a Christian at all. Prayed with her. Showed her God's love. There's a seed that's planted there. Uh, yeah, I may not see the harvest from that. I may not see the fruit. Somebody else may come along and water what I did. But that was an opportunity from tragedy to show God's love. I was reachable. I allowed myself to go into an environment that I would not normally go in to show God's love. To be available. To be approachable. How often are we not approachable? How do we expect people to come up to us if they don't think they can talk with us? Jesus was approachable. Anybody could come to him. Kids. People. They knew that they could come and learn and listen and feel God's love. Are we not supposed to be the same way? I haven't always been that way. I, I admit but here recently, that's what I realized, that we have to be approachable. We have to be reachable. This human Jesus that CBS showed and aired is a true indication of who he is. He was. He was human. People could come up to him. Why is that a bad thing? Why is it bad for Jesus to be human? He was human. He became us to save us. <laughs> he came to this earth and became us to show that we can do the same thing that he has done. He's given us that power. We have to show that same love, that same compassion to the people around us. We have to be available. We have to be reachable. If people will not come to us, then we're not showing ourselves as being approachable. I could be at work. Dennis works with me. I come up to Dennis. I'm like, hey, Dennis, what's up, man? You eating lunch? How many times do we talk to people or don't talk to people because we don't want to hang around them at lunch? I'm not saying I don't want to hang around you. That's what I'm saying. But we have to be reachable. We have to be approachable. There are times when, you know, you may walk into the lunchroom and you may see somebody across the hall, across the lunchway, that you don't want to talk to. Why not? You may not like them. Guess what? They may not like you either. 
Jesus wasn't like at all times. God made us different. He created our DNA. He didn't make us all the same. Why would he make us all the same? If he made us all the same and we laughed at the same thing and we talked about the same thing, we'd be boring. I wouldn't want to hang around you either. I do like y'all, just to let you know. But we, we have to be what God told us to be. Actually, excuse me, I take that back. We have to be what God created each and every one of us to be. There's people that Derek can reach that I can't reach. There's people that my wife can reach that I can't reach. There's people that Chad can reach that I can't reach. Why? Because he's made us all different. There's people that Brandon can reach that I can't reach. He's made us different. Our DNA is different. That's the way he made us. So why would we want to be around all the same people all the same time? That's called boring to me. That's why I like Mike. Mike's loud. So I don't have to be. That's okay. I don't have a problem with that because that's my boy. That's the way it is. We're all different. We're all attracted to different people. God made it that way because we can't reach all the same people at all the same time. He made us different. That's our DNA. We have to be reachable. We have to be approachable. The power of the Easter egg. Okay. You're asking how powerful is an Easter egg. I'll, I'll explain here in a moment. Here at Passion, we've got our, our three tenants. We'll call them our three E's. Who can say them? Maya. That's what I'm talking about. Equip, encounter, engage. Those are our three tenants. That's what we believe here at Passion. We can get our praise on. We can get our Holy Ghost goosebumps. We can praise God, as Pastor says, until the paint comes off the walls. But that's okay. We encounter God. We encounter God here in praise and worship. That's what we do. We want to worship and praise so God can be in our midst so we can feel what it's like to be with him. Also, we get the word. We get fresh manna from heaven every week, word that comes from our Father, and it equips us to live each day to the fullest. But if we just stop at those two, we failed. We can experience God. That's great. We can get fat on the word of God that comes here. That's wonderful. But if we just stop there, we have failed. We have not succeeded. It's not just about what we do here in this building. It's not just about us, as I said earlier. We have to realize that we need to fulfill the name of who we are. If we just do those two, we have failed as a Christian, as what it says that we are. A Christian is this, a person who adheres to Christianity, an Abrahamic monotheistic religion based on the life and teachings of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels and the letters of the New Testament. That's us. In other words, we're being Christ-like. That's who we are. That's who we're supposed to be. We as a church, we as a body have to have all three in place, not just as a church collectively, but individually. If we just come here and worship God, and we just come here and, and, and get, on, get the word and, and take it and go home with it and don't do anything else with it, we failed. Easter Outreach of 2010, last year. Honestly, 
I'll put my dirty laundry right there. I did not want to go. I've, been, I've gone to the other ones. I didn't want to go to this one. I was tired. I had worked all week. I had worked a hundred zillion hours in one week. I wanted to take a day for myself. And God, can I not do that, please? Just once? Woke up that morning. I couldn't sleep. It was like 8 o'clock. Oh, you're supposed to be up for a reason. Why? Oh, <sighs> seriously? Okay, I'll go. Amy wasn't feeling well, so I just went on my own. I think Ashley was out of town. I can't remember. I've slept since then. But anyway, I went. There wasn't any one thing I was supposed to do. I, wasn't, I didn't know I was supposed to pass out eggs. I really wasn't assigned anything. So what did I do? I talked with the people. I saw everybody putting the eggs out. If you haven't been to one of our Easter outreaches, it takes us like 35, 40 minutes to put out candied Easter eggs. The kids come out and poof, it's gone in 30 seconds. I'm like, seriously, I did all that work and are gone already? Seriously? But you know what? That's not about me. Again, it's not about me. So we're almost done. Karen had done this, the the thank you the sidewalk Sunday school. Kids are giving their life to Christ, and so we're talking around, we're mingling, and I see a young man and his daughter walk up. He's got her in a stroller, and they just showed up. Of course, at that point, there's no more Easter eggs. All the kids have gotten them. Done. And so I talked with him, and his little girl, cute as a button, and he says, do you have any eggs? I'm like, no. I said, we don't. So I talked with him for a little bit more, found out that his wife because three months ago he committed suicide. He was by himself, a single father. Didn't know what he could do. <sighs> he was working, can't work now because he take care of her. It was a horrible situation. Make it kicked out of his apartment. I said, look, man. I said, I don't have much for you. I said, but I can't give you this. I said, God loves you. He cares for you. He says, why are you sitting here talking to me like this? Oh, because God got me out of bed at 8 o'clock and I had to come. No. <laughs> because that's what I'm supposed to do. You're talking to me like I've known you for years. And I said, you know what? God has. I haven't, but God has. We sat there. We hugged. We cried. I said, look, man. I said, I don't know if I can do this or not, but I'm declaring that I can. If you come tomorrow, tomorrow morning, I'll make sure she gets some Easter eggs. Mind you, they're all gone. I'm thinking if I have to go to the store, buy some eggs myself, put some candy in them, then that's what I'm going to have to do. I say, come tomorrow, I'll make sure she walks out with more eggs than anybody else. So I went to his place. We're standing outside, talked with him, hugged with him. And I said, look, we, I, I'll come here. Uh, I'll pick you up tomorrow morning. I said, do you want to be with the early one or late one? <laughs> he said, late. I said, that's right. I come at about 11 o'clock, and I'll come pick you up. Knocked on his door. They came. Actually, he knocked on his door. He wasn't ready. He said he had a guy coming to pick him up. I'm like, all right, you're going to be there, right? I said, she wants the eggs. <laughs> I used his daughter on him. I said, she needs to get some candy. So his friend picked him up. We're sitting here at the end of service. I look up, and he's sitting right over there with his little girl. Pastor Steve gave the altar call. He raised his hand. At that point, I understood the power of an Easter egg, a little piece of plastic filled with nice little tasty chocolates, the power of that little egg what it can do. At that point, God showed me how powerful that could be. Was it the egg? No, but it was a love that was shown through the egg. That's how powerful things in our life can be if we just open ourselves up 
Story's not over. We went to a men's retreat up in Tulsa. One of my best friends, he's, he's up there at uh, Greenwood Christian Center. And they had what they call a men's encounter. So a few of us went up there, got done with the first session on Friday night. Tulsa, mind you. I turn around because I've been trying to get a hold of Steve for a while, the, the guy that I ministered to. Called him, knocked on his door. He wasn't there. Lost all track of him. I had no idea where he was. So we're up in Tulsa. I turn around. And who would I see walking down the aisle? I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. He looks at me. I look at him, ran to him, hugged me, cried. He was there with another church that he got hooked up with in downtown Tulsa. They knew of the men's encounter, and they went there in Tulsa so they can get fed. I said, God, I said, you are fantastic. And at that point, I said, man, that Easter egg is a little bit more powerful than I thought it was. It is. If we allow ourselves to be used by God, even something as inanimate as a little Easter egg, you may say, you know what? This is not how I grew up in church. We didn't do things that way. This is not how we did it. You know what? That very well may be true. You may not have done it that way in your church, but you know what? That's the way we do it here. Because what we're trying to be is Christ-like. We're fulfilling who we are. We're fulfilling what our actual name is, living our life based on the life of our Savior. You know what? Jesus did the exact same thing. That's nothing different. First, people had a one-on-one encounter with him. When they had that encounter, when they met him, it was like meeting nobody else. They had that encounter with him. Two, Jesus equipped his disciples with truths and examples of God's love, stories, parables, even took the two commandments and broke them down into two little phrases. I'll admit right now, do I know the Ten Commandments by heart? No. I bet you Bob Ely does, though. Daddy Edie is a man of knowledge. I'll just say that. But you know what? For people like us that don't remember all ten, he says, there's two things. Because they try to trick him. Which one is greater? Love your neighbor like you would love yourself and love God. How simple is that? That's what he said. Love. Love God and love people. That's it. He made it simple for us. They try to get the law and twist it and turn it and make it hard and try to stump Jesus. You can't stump Jesus. He made it easy. Love God, love people. Just that simple. Every commandment falls under those two categories. Love God, love people. Can't get any easier than that. Third, Jesus showed his disciples how to implement the truths he taught by showing them how to engage their culture, by showing them how to meet with people one-on-one. He then, at that point, became a physical example of God's love, God in the flesh. Star, are you telling me that I'm supposed to be God in the flesh? Yeah. Aren't we supposed to be Christ-like? Isn't that our name? Aren't we Christians? Yes, I'm saying you're supposed to be God in the flesh. Is that possible? My certainly, yes, it is. Every single day. That's the way he created us. That's in our DNA. Not just as a church, but he put that in us. To be able to talk with people, commune with people. Why do you think we pass out cookies and pizza? Because people like to eat. That's just the way it is. What are we doing today after church? We're eating. We're at. 
Exactly. We're fellowshipping with each other. We're showing God's love to each other. That's the way we were built. That's what we were meant to do. We were meant to be God in the flesh. Brings me to my last point. The more you limit the people that can reach you, the more you limit the people you can reach. I say it a little again, but God confused me a little bit when he said it. The more you limit the people that have access to you, that can approach you, the more you limit the people that you can actually reach later on. I need two people. Two people come up front for me, please, if you don't mind. Quickly. You fall, I'm going to laugh at you. You know that, right? That's love. All right, so it's the three of us. You know, God, I'm in my own little world. I don't really talk to a lot of people that much. You know, I, I have a problem, time, you know, ministering, evangelizing. That's really not me. So, you know, it took me 20 years, but I, I talked with Ashley and I talked with Quinn. And you know what, God? Yeah, this is my little inner circle. These are the people that I've allowed to reach me. And at some point, I decide, we decide, you know what, we're going we're gonna to reach people. So we're sitting here and we're standing here. And if we just walk this way, there's people that we can reach. Not a lot. But it's people that we can reach. So stretch your arms out and touch my fingers. So if we stretch ourselves just a little bit more, reach, we can reach a little bit more, correct? But at this point, we're stretching ourselves thin. We're burning ourselves out. We can reach people, but at that point, we can only do but so much. I need four more people. Quickly. Anybody? One, two, three, four. That'll work. So stand, Ashley, come in. Stand side by side, facing out this way. Quinn, come in. Amy, you can stand right beside Ashley. We're all facing out this way. So if I decide to become a little bit more approachable, a little bit more reachable, can we reach more people with these seven people up here now? Then if we decide not to stretch ourselves thin, but everybody else is going to stretch If we decide to stretch, do a little bit more, can we reach more people? Can we, can we get to more people? Yes. You can go and sit down now. Again, the more you limit the people that you can reach, the more you limit the people that can, ah, I said it wrong because I was confusing myself. The more you limit the people that can reach you, the more you limit who you can reach, who you can reach out to. Because, you know, at some point we want to try to do what we can. But if we don't allow people to come into our lives, find out who we are, get to know other people, get to know who Jeff is, get to know who anybody is. If I don't do that, if I don't become approachable, not just for the people that I hang with out on Sundays and on Wednesdays and dog days of summer, then again, I can't reach enough people. You know what? We're not asking you to do a lot. Pass out an Easter egg. If you can cook a hot dog, come on Wednesday nights to cook a hot dog. The hot dogs aren't going to talk back. They're not going to bite you. Pass them out. Again, let's do what we can do to reach out to these people. Again, do we understand the power of an Easter egg? Do we understand the power of a hot dog and a bag of chips? Do we understand the power of a little box of snickerdoodle cookies when people come in and visit us? Those things are good, by the way. Just to let you know. Do we understand the power of God's love when it's used through us? That's the question. How reachable are you? 
Are you going to be who you're supposed to be by your name, a Christian, being Christ-like? That's what Jesus did. He gave us the perfect example of who we need to be, of us being approachable. Yeah, there are some things with that miniseries that I personally don't agree with and what they took artistic liberties with. But you know what? There's a key factor that they're honing in on, Jesus being real. Jesus being human. That's who we are. How in the world are they supposed to see his love through us if we don't show it? It's close to impossible. So how reachable are you going to be? How approachable are you going to be? How much of your comfort zone are you going to get out, get out of? Pastor Steve asked me to do this. I told you, Pastor Steve, you, you cook up my grits. If y'all are from the South, y'all don't know what that is. You're, 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 you're blowing up my comfort zone, Pastor Steve. But it, it's allowed me to be approachable, to be reachable. How are you going to be reachable? We're all reachable and approachable in our own different way. We all don't do the same things. We don't talk the same way. We don't dance the same way. We don't eat the same way. We don't watch TV or sports the same way. We don't root for Kobe the same way. Sorry. <laughs> hey. <laughs> we don't do things the same way, but God works through us the same way by showing his love. Allow him to use you in ways that you probably didn't realize you could be used before. A simple conversation with someone. A simple conversation could change your life. God, we thank you for you showing us your love. But God, we can't be selfish and keep that love to ourselves. We can't be so conceited and selfish that we, that we can't show that love to others. We can't sit down on, and, and have a cup of coffee with someone that we may not have talked to before. We can't do that. We have to open ourselves up. God, show us how to do that. Show us how to break out of our comfort zone so we can reach more people. Show us how to be reachable. Tell us. Give us opportunities, Father for people to reach us so they can also reach other people. We thank you for the awesome responsibility that you have given us to show your love, to show how much you love us, to show how you've come and you've died and you've given your life for us. We have to reciprocate that. We have to show that back. And we thank you, Father God, that as we continue each day, that you will give us those unique and powerful opportunities to share your love by being just who we are by being myself and doing what you've created me to do thank you Jesus thank God we thank God for this word today Gotta be, yeah, yeah. How many of you are gonna be more approachable? 
got to open yourself up. Thank God for that. He was just, it's something when, when people speak, it's just like God always pours in. And he was talking and, and he brought back something to my mind how religious people uh, want you to be saved. And they, they're, when you're religious, you follow God and you follow his rules because of fear. I'm scared of hell. And so I serve God. And when you're a kid, a lot of times you follow your parents because of fear. Scared of a whooping. So I do it. Some of y'all don't know anything about that. But then at, the, at a certain point, when you get a certain age, you quit being afraid of whoopings. And you just do whatever you want to do. But when it's relationship and love, it turns and I'm not going to do it because I'm afraid of you. I'm not going to do it because I love you so much. And you know how long that lasts? Forever. And so now I don't follow you because I'm afraid of hell, God. I follow you because I love you. I obey you because I love you. I've got to share this with somebody because he loves me and I want to share it. So let's let's be approachable and open. Amen. Man, we thank God. Uh, one thing before we, we close. Um, I talked to the praise team about it before we started, before we prayed. There's a, a good friend of mine and a good friend of some of ours here. Some of you know this young man. Me and his brother went to uh, Mid-America for a year together. And um, his brother's name is Craig, but uh, his name is Maurice Carter. And um, some of you know who he is. He's a, a psalmist, keyboard player, uh, preacher, youth pastor. Um, but he has been missing since Friday. And no one knows where he's at. And um, there are a lot of people. He was supposed to go on tour with group this morning and they can't find him but there's one thing I do know God knows where he is and I just want to take a minute just to pray for him and his family before we dismiss I just want to take a minute and pray for him and his family and, and, and pray peace over that entire situation father we just honor you now for this your your child Maurice Carter father we speak his name God we ask that you would bless him. You know where he's at, Father. You know what. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.